Gail, an honor and a pleasure to be speaking with you again. Aside from having to speak to media scum, how is your day going today? <laughs> I was just telling the last interview I did, I said my mind has been racing for, I mean, the last, since probably NWA Empower. <laughs> and um, just, I kind of throw my whole self into all these women's shows because I care about it so much. So um, yeah, it's exciting. My energy level is over a hundred right now. So um, I hope the fans are just as excited. Good point right there that you just brought up. You yeah. keep making headlines and it seems almost <laughs> accidental slash organic. Like for example, when you retired as a full-time in-ring competitor, did you have any idea that you were still gonna be in front of the camera so frequently? No, and I took a long break out of that. And I'll be honest, um, it's hard as a female to, if I'm going to be on camera, it's hard to do the backstage stuff and the on-camera stuff. And a lot of the guys do it too. Uh, but for a female, you know, I have to be in hair and makeup for an hour or so. And so it does take some time away and it's hard to focus for myself personally. I like to give everything I have, especially on camera. I, I'm very anal about it. You know, I'm perfectionist. I, want it to be perfect. So uh, finding that balance is actually um, a challenge, but I love it. And whatever Impact Wrestling wants from me, I always tell them, if you want me to, they'll ask me, you know, are you okay with doing this promo? Are you okay with uh, doing this interview? And of course, whatever they need from me, I'm happy to support. Before I ask about Knockouts Knockdown, I'm curious how much of that is hard with the backstage to going on camera with the fact that you have to wear the headset and you want to wear comfortable <laughs> clothes when you're working. You know women. <laughs> like that, the a, headset is kind of change. annoying. It messes up your hair, maybe yeah. causes indents in your face and then you have to go in. <laughs> no, no indents in the face, thank God. It's kind of like, like this. Um, it's worked out so far. So far it's been pretty good. And the guys who support me in that regard, they're always very thoughtful in terms of, you know, that time that you totally. need to kind of get touched up or whatever it is, or gather your thoughts. And um, yeah, it's because remember all the on-camera stuff I've done besides Tessa when I came out of retirement um, has not been physical. It's all talking. And, you know, for me, my comfort zone was always wrestling, not necessarily talking, but now that I'm retired, I'm a little bit more laid back and relaxed about it. So. Yeah. Cool. Good to hear. But again, knockouts, knockdown, the yes. emphasis of this conversation, you were the focal point in terms of you made the announcement and it came on your social media. Hey, big announcement coming soon. That kind of thing. How long did you have to keep tight lipped about this whole thing? I mean, we started the chat about bringing back the special a um, couple months ago. And mm -hmm. then we wanted to, obviously, Mickey announced her. So, of course, we support her in every way possible. Um, and she did such a great job. What an inspiration for her to be able to stick to her guns and fight for what she wanted and come out successful. And I was truly honored to be part of that. Um, it was emotionally fulfilling and in just watching all the girls, it was for them as well. And that's what we want, you know, to continue our tradition of knockouts, knockdown. It's going to be a little bit of a different format from what it was in the past, but I think we kept the name because we knew the fans were familiar with the show and mm -hmm. we wanted to bring that nostalgia back and to say, Hey, 
we're bringing this back for all the women wrestling fans out there. And Mickey's on commentary for this. Yes. How exciting is that? Veda. I I think we have a really great broadcast team there. Uh, I was so excited to announce it today. Um, We've given a bunch of nuggets out there. So fans kind of know and want to get excited about it, but we still have surprises to go. Yeah. Yes. That was an important thing that you pointed out on your social media where you said, we're not giving it all away. Yeah. We don't want to give it all away because I would say in the last at least six months in wrestling, there's been so many surprises. Uh, And I used this as an example previously, Slammiversary, for example, we had a lot of surprises. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think the fact that there were no spoilers out there really Mm -hmm. added to the impact of how that felt for the fans. And um, I always say, I think fans forget because they're just so used to reading no spoilers. Maybe you just would really like being surprised sometimes, you know, because the, yeah. the feeling and the emotion and the excitement is on another level when you're surprised for me too. Cause sometimes I won't even know. And then I'll see someone walk in. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Right. So yeah, I, I have the pleasure of regularly interviewing impact talent. And one of them that I spoke with a month or two back W Morrissey, I was pointing out to him. So nobody spotted you backstage when you debuted Nobody yeah. knew the indie show that you made your surprise thing. Is everyone tight-lipped or are you just good <laughs> at keeping secrets? And that seems to be a consistency in the Impact roster, whereas mm-hmm. maybe other companies, you know, immediately comes out so-and-so spotted backstage. Never right. happens with Impact. Yeah, I, I don't know what that is, <laughs> what that different factor uh, is playing there. I, I'm happy for it, so thank you to the Impact Wrestling roster and fans who may have found out and kept it a secret because I think it's it's just more exciting that way. For sure. And yeah. it's very exciting to see that Impact is working with other companies that yeah. most of the wrestling world is kind of unified and united and it's very exciting. Yes. How do you feel about that other than it's great? Like, for example, does that open up your mind to go, hmm, maybe there's more I can do or are you just busy enough with Impact? <laughs> I, I am busy enough with Impact. Um, but of course, I'm. it's pro wrestling. You just never know who you're going to work with and whatever the next step may be. I literally will take one thing at a time because I, like I said, I like to put all of me into everything. So for example, this weekend with Knockouts Knockdown, I'm just focused on that because it's the first show of the weekend. Mm-hmm. And then I'll get to, we're filming Impact after that. So I'll move on to Impact after. <laughs> so one thing at a time, but you are right. Uh, the fans have been responding so well to that forbidden door being opened. And even I get questions all the time. When is the women's forbidden door going to be open? And I said, I don't know that yet, but luckily between you know all the companies that, are have that door open they all have deep women's rosters so mm-hmm. even if that door wasn't open which it has been already by empower actually so um for example people ask about diana and they're curious to see her wrestle let's say Britt baker or something like that and my answer to that is i would love to see that too and i think the fans would love to see that too i said but diana hasn't faced all the girls on the roster yet um, and I'm really excited to see her face some of the girls that are currently there that she hasn't faced. So there's so many endless possibilities before the forbidden door that gets me excited. So I'm, I'm good either way. 
totally. And as we're winding down here, back to you. You've always been known as being one of the most pleasant, easy to work with people there is, but nobody really knows. What are you working on outside of Impact? Do you have any exciting passion projects in the works? Yes. I mean, we're. it's actually funny because the Knockouts Knockdown kind of like fell in our lap. And you can see that Christy Hemme is part of the process and she's coming back to this show to make an appearance. And I have always worked kind of with her and Lita, Amy Dumas, um, on women's wrestling projects on the side. And COVID put a stop to one of them. (laughs) Not completely. We're still working on it, but it put a halt on it in terms of meetings and all those things. But we, and I've said this before, we are never going to stop in terms of those goals of other projects that we want to do centered around our passion, which is women's wrestling. And uh, now I feel like we're getting more support and Knockouts Knockdown is one of them. So no Gail Kim cookbook. (laughs) Hey, actually, I've had a couple of people request that, but you never know. (laughs) That could be a possibility. There you go. Well, congratulations on the continued success and really looking forward to everything coming from you in the near future. Thank you for your time. Yes, of course. Uh, do we want to talk about if they want to come to the show this weekend? Can I say? Please, please yeah. and thank you. <laughs> so if you guys want to come to the show this weekend, we're going to be at Skyway Studios in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and you can come starting September 17th to the 19th and Knockouts Knockdown will be kicking off the weekend. So I hope everyone makes it there and sees all the surprises. And best place to follow you online on your social media? Yes. My social media, Twitter and Instagram, same handle, Gail Kim, it's me. Uh, I love to interact with the fans on Twitter, especially. Um, So check me out there. Thanks as always, Gail. Take care now. Of course. Thank you. Chef, would you be preferred, uh, preferably called Chef Bayless or Chef Rick? How do you like it? I will answer to pretty much anything that you call me. And whatever you feel comfortable with, I'm comfortable with. Okay. You well, can just call me Rick too. That, that would work. We'll start with Chef Rick first. Okay. And after you like me a little bit, we'll move to Rick. So, okay. <laughs> so Chef Rick, is it a good day for you so far? I know you've been uh, recovering from shoulder surgery. I just came back from a physical therapy, which is not fun at all. So uh, this day has not started very well for me, but I'm, I know I have to go through this to get to the good stuff. That's where I'm headed. So I'm, I'm going to do it. Totally. Well, it's a pleasure to be speaking with you. Long time awareness of you and what what it is that you do. And I understand you have a new restaurant opening up next week. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's Tortasso. So uh, um, I would say maybe 10 years ago or so, uh, we put these places in at O'Hare Airport um, mm-hmm. that just really featured uh, tortas, very small menu um, and everything, you know, made to order and everything um, like full flavored, which is not usually what you get at an airport. And they were really successful. And we sort of let that just kind of hang out there for a while. And then several years ago, we just decided that we really wanted to do something more with that, that idea and to do a fast casual kind of restaurant. That's a little bit more than what you, well, just in the same way that we give you more than what you expect at an airport. Um, We thought we could give you more than what you expect at a fast casual 
unusual place. And so we started working on this idea that started with the the, the guts of what we do at the airport, and then um, but make it into a freestanding place that um, th those places are all licensed because you ha everything has to be run by HMS host out there. Yeah. So we have our team of people that um, do all the quality assurance and training and all that sort of stuff for the airport locations. But we decided we wanted to like boost that up and really rethink the whole concept and see what we could do to make a, a sort of fast, casual plus kind of place. And so we came up with Tortasso and we opened the first one at Willis Tower here six weeks to the day before we were all shut down for the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So we still have no idea if that's going to work or not. All I know is that that building is still at 15% occupancy. And so we don't have a lot of people coming by there. Um, but we're doing we're doing fine. And we, we really believe in it. So we had always had in the back of our minds that our second place that we wanted to bring Tortasso would be to, um, to New York. Um, and so we just thought, you know, the, the Chicago Loop, which is the other obvious place mm -hmm. for us to put more tortasos, um, is not back yet. But there's a lot of stuff going on in, in Manhattan. And so we thought, let, well, let's look at, at a place in Manhattan. And so um, we found this place um, near 25th and Broadway in Nomad that we fell in love with. We just we felt like that it was the right demographic, the right neighborhood for us to put down our first flag there. Um, and so uh, literally the week before the pandemic hit, we signed that lease. Um, so it's taken us a long time to get this place up and running just because we didn't know what, what was gonna happen. Everybody just kind of went on hiatus for a little bit to try to figure things out. So um, we're very excited because we're, we're um, sort of moved into a different part of the pandemic, if you will. I'm yeah. not saying we're out of it, but um, at least we're in a place where now we feel like that we can start to build some stuff. And so uh, on Monday, we're going to be opening to the public. Um, I've been there training and, you know, all that sort of stuff I'm back in Chicago right now, but I'm coming back this weekend. And um, it's I, I'm really excited about it because I think that the whole idea of a fast casual place um, fits a lot of, of needs for people these days because you could treat us just as your kind of takeout place and mm -hmm. order online and come in and pick stuff up but um I, I i'm a real believer in hospitality um and i that sort of takeout model doesn't satisfy me very much um i feel like that we also um, can be much more than that. And we need to offer places where people can come together. And, you know, not everybody um, has the, the money or the desire to spend a lot of money on dinner, but um, we might want to meet our friends and we might want to have a really good margarita made with fresh squeezed lime juice and, you know, a good tequila that's made with 100% agave and, you know, stuff like that. And so our, our goal with with Tortasso is to be really very flexible and to say that we have we we can we can take care of a lot of your needs. Okay, we're not a fine sure. dining sit down place, but um, we we are very transparent about our ingredients. Which um, to me, I've always been transparent about my ingredients, even before it was um, something that you talked about. People right. used to come into our our restaurants on Clark Street here in Chicago and say like, "Why are you telling us where all these foods are from?" 
come. And it's like, to me, because that's that, that I, I lived in Mexico for a long time and everybody talks about where the food is from, right. um, because it's not just a commodity that you're doing something to, but it's something that's an expression of people and terrain and history and all that sort of stuff. And so for me, it was really, uh, it's always been really important to talk about the, the source of our ingredients. And we, and a lot of fast casual doesn't do that very much. And I think it should be done always because especially if you're going to rely on us um, to, for a lot of your nutrition, then I want you to know that we are really paying attention to where your food is coming from. And mm -hmm. we're paying attention to, to supporting people that we want to support. I mean, it's not, we're not just out there uh, purchasing the cheapest stuff that we can so that we can make the most money, but we're out there purchasing the best ingredients so that you can feel comfortable eating this stuff on a regular basis. And to me, that is like when we opened Shoko, which was 12 years ago this last week, um, uh, which does tortas also, but when we opened uh, Shoko, um, I, I, it's kind of a weird thing to think about putting three restaurants stuck together on one street. But um, we kept saying, you know, it's like we had Frontera, which is sort of upscale casual restaurant, but a sit down place with really good right. service. And then we have Topolo Bampo, which is high and fine dining. And, but I, I kept saying, there's so many people working in this restaurant that can't afford either one of those. I mean, the, working in this neighborhood that can't afford either one of those yeah. places. And I said, we're going to, use the same great ingredients that we're using in Frontera and in Topolobampo, and we're just going to do it in a, a simpler format. And um, so I, I wanted to be very, uh, very sensitive because we can't give away our food because we're not, we're, we're working with good, inf good ingredients, but I mean, right giveaway we're not going to do it super cheap okay it's not all about being cheap and i i said so we want to make sure that there's plenty of amenities that can attract a, a a really great um crowd of people that can appreciate the quality of what we're doing but just don't have the money to spend on on the other places that we have here and that has that is really our philosophy at tortasso too and you mentioned 25th and broadway not too far where you'll be giving a master class next month i have that's that correct uh, right, right. What should be expected from your master class? So, you know, um, I did something sort of similar to this a few years ago down at ICE, um, but for another group of people. Oh, you know what? It was the International Association of Culinary Professionals. I, it was a fundraiser for them. And um, I was, I, I've known the people down at ICE forever, and um, they have a really lovely facility. And um, they wanted me to, to do this thing for the IACP. And I said, oh, that, that, that'll be good as long as we can have a plenty of room for people to actually get their hands dirty. <laughs> and so um, I did it and it was really successful. And I felt like people walked away from that with a really great amount of knowledge because um, it's sort of, it's kind of a, a funny thing to talk about, but um, with the popularity of tacos right now, I mm -hmm. think that the biggest problem with talking about tacos and even worse about making tacos in your house is that most of the time the 
the tortillas are just terrible. <laughs> and so yes. lots of people say, you know, it's like, well, oh, I'd never get a corn tortilla because they're just like taste like the cardboard wrapper that they're in or whatever, you know. And I and yeah, that's true, because what they're getting is mostly stale tortillas that are in big grocery stores. And um, of course, if you go to a Mexican market, then you're much more likely to get tortillas that are just made and you can get it, get them home and rewarm them and they're going to be great. But that's not most people's experience. And so they, a lot of people just tell me, oh, I, I never use corn tortillas. And um, so I only do uh, flour tortillas. And that that upsets me because Mexican cuisine is the cuisine of corn. It's all based on corn. And the um, and we need people need to know how to make good corn tortillas. So that's what I'm really going to teach in this thing so that people can have their taco Tuesdays or whatever they want to call it. And they can actually have some really good tortillas to wrap around those delicious feelings that they're making. So I'm going to do a sort of a master class that's going to be, as I call it, the two most important food groups, tacos and tequila. And um, we are going to do a master class in how to make a real margarita. Um, I, I'm, you can do inventive and fun margaritas and stuff like that, but you never can do them well unless you actually know how to make a good one, a good base one. And so I'm going to go through the basics of that and, and how to choose the ingredients and what role each ingredient plays. Then I'm going to teach people how to make the tortillas um, and then uh, a couple of simple fillings um, that they can you can turn to at a moment's notice kind of thing. Um, so that's that's kind of where we are with all of that. Um, I'm also going to do a really simple, simple guacamole that is sort of like guacamole on the fly. So mm -hmm. if you want to make guacamole and you have no time at all, keep these things in your pantry and you can make guacamole like in in five minutes. If you've got the avocados, you have to have the avocados, obviously. But I'm, um, so, I'm in that. <laughs> okay. But I think it's like those are really important things. And I think that um, most too far too often when people are talking about tacos and guacamole and margaritas, um, they're, they're doing it from a really American perspective. And first of all, that's disrespectful to the, to the cuisine that has developed all of these things. But mostly what you're missing is the opportunity to experience um, a, a different flavor pro profile, which for me is really, really important. And we, we have a tendency in the U.S. to think that we've got we know everything. And so <laughs> I'm going to teach I'm going to teach you how to make the best pad thai and I'm going to teach you how to make yeah. the best, best mushu pork or whatever it might be. And, and they always come out taste tasting like they were made by Americans. And so my my thing is that since I was. I, I was taught by people in Mexico how to cook all this food. I just want to share that. And hopefully in sharing that, not only will you go away with something really delicious to make, but you'll also go away with this really great and, and hopefully slightly profound uh, appreciation for the culture that created it. So it's to me really an important thing to keep the spotlight where the spotlight is, is necessary. Do you have time for two more quick questions or topics? I do. Okay, the first thing I'm curious about here is you're a great speaker. You found success being on television and writing beyond being in the kitchen, beyond being the restaurateur. 
were you always able to give talks and classes or is that something that you had to learn how to do and get better at? In other words, your first cooking class, were you kind of going, put it in the pan? Um, <laughs> was it that bad and awkward? So here's the deal. Okay, so I came up through theater and I was always really interested in, in, in um, using that in some way because I like being in front of a crowd, okay? And um, when I decided, I, I, my, you know, I was in graduate school in anthropology and linguistics and I thought I was gonna, my path was going to be one of academics. And um, then sort of lots of things in my life changed at one point and I was working on PhD dissertation and I, I just said, I, I'm gonna put this away for a little bit and I'm going to, um, to follow my other passion, which is I'm gonna see what I can do in food. I grew up in a barbecue restaurant, so I'd always cooked, but cooked professionally and, and personally, I loved cooking. And mm -hmm. so I just decided to, to devote one year to see what I could do. And um, there, there was a cookware store in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where I was going to school at University of Michigan. And um, I, 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 they, I convinced them that I, I could teach cooking classes. <laughs> and so um, I started teaching cooking classes. And I, what I uh, all of a sudden realized is that I can talk and cook at the same time. And that um, I loved telling stories, um, stories that about the history of the dishes and about um, like if I was teaching a barbecue class that I, I would teach about like the way we did it in our, my family's restaurant and mm -hmm. you know, what the history of all of that was. And I liked putting food in context and um, because I think you appreciate it so much more when you have know something about it. It becomes less of a thumbs up, thumbs down thing, which I hate. It's like, <laughs> I, I think it's better to actually yeah. have somebody say, you know, this is the way that we make, this is the way we like it. And now I'm going to present it to you and you can, you can, in, you, you can interact with it, <laughs> but it's more of like interacting with it. It's not like saying, Oh, I'd like this. I don't like this or whatever. It's like that, that food is much more powerful than that. And so um, I, I learned right away. And so in that first year, um, all of a sudden I was getting calls from other places saying, Oh, we want you to teach cooking classes in our place. And so for what turned out to be uh, two and a half years, I made my entire living by teaching cooking classes just in, in they weren't at professional cooking schools. These were in, like in cookware stores, sometimes in department stores. I mean, I would take any gig that somebody would give me. There was a continuing education thing at Toledo, University of Toledo. And so right. next thing I knew I was in, I was in, involved in running that program. And so, you know, it was like, I, it, it was, um, it was just natural for me. And then the next thing I knew I was on TV and, um, the, I was on the, the, the morning shows around Detroit and they were, people were like, oh man, this guy can cook and talk and tell stories and all that sort of stuff. And so it came really natural to me and I really loved it. And so um, I did a two, two parts here. I mean, well, 26 part series uh, for uh, public television really, really early back in the late seventies. And then I didn't go back to that again um, uh, for a long time. And I said, this time, if I'm going to do it, I'm not just going to tell stories. I'm going to show people. <laughs> and so when we started Mexico one plate at a time, it, it was because we got the funding to be able to really take people to Mexico. So every show was half shot in Mexico. And that to me was the hallmark of that show 
that was the opportunity to really take people into the, uh, to look at the culture through my eyes, of course, but um, to really actually be there and see it. And I love telling that story. Awesome answer. I didn't know 99% of that. So thank you for that. And the last thing I want to know, I just realized I'm wearing a Cabo Wabo shirt. Uh, <laughs> I can't I see it. It's framed out of what I'm looking at now. A, but I would uh, have mentioned something about that if, uh, if I had seen it. Well, the, that's the last thing I was curious about. <laughs> Do you happen to be a Van Halen fan? Because Mexican cuisine has kind of evolved into Sammy Hagar winds up being the fourth or fifth thing always said because uh, of the success of his spirits and the mesquila that him and Guy Fieri launched and all that. So random question. It's fine if the answer is, yeah, I know the hits and that's it. I know the hits and that's it, man. <laughs> I'm actually... You have to know this about me. I'm really not uh, much of a supporter of celebrity brands of tequila and mezcal, only because I, I know the people who have done it for generations and generations yeah. in Mexico. And um, it, it seems a little bit of moving into appropriation there for me. So uh, it's, not my it's not my favorite thing, even though some of the products are really good. Um, I'd, I guess I'd rather line the pockets of the people who have been doing it for generations, something like that. Outrocast.